From 11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is Connection Interrupted. Connection Interrupted is a weekly show focusing on individuals across all walks of life whose plans and journeys were interrupted, disconnected, or rerouted. These are their stories told in their words of the obstacles they faced, the challenges they overcame, and the role technology played both as an instigator and as an instrument for positive growth and change in their lives. Life without playing music is inconceivable for me. I live my daydreams in music. I see my life in terms of music. I get most joy in my life out of music. So when you hear that quote, what person comes to mind? Take a minute. I think you'll be surprised to find out that was Albert Einstein, the famed physicist. Not exactly who I'm sure immediately popped in, but he had a passion outside of physics that continued for his entire life. And that reminds me so much of Devika Thapur. Devika is the chief of staff for financial services for IBM Watson, that big AI we've heard so much about and keep reading it about. And yet Devika, who's one of the smartest and sharpest people I know, is incredibly well-rounded and that she also has a great appreciation for the arts. She studied dance her entire life and is incredibly active in this space. Some of the questions I asked Devika is, how do you combine this passion and this love of dance and the arts and blend it with science, with technology, with STEM as we know it? Because I have absolutely no clue how you would go about doing that. The good news is Devika does. How? Well, this is her story. You know, the, the first question I'm going to ask you, the red balloon dog in the lobby, do you have any clue what's behind that? Um, well, it's a Jeff Koons. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with I do know with... who that is. Yeah, I didn't realize that's what that he, was. He likes to build uh, objects that are the size of his ego, in my personal oh, opinion. Oh, that's actually outstanding. <laughs> this is like a big red dog balloon. Maybe. Exactly. But um, I think we licensed it when we opened this building in back in 20, I think end of 2014. I like this part of town. I yeah. don't spend enough time down here. Because they call it Silicon Alley. Yeah, this is the silly. Yeah, we're yeah. in the we're, we're for the listeners. We're in IBM Watson's building. Six line comes directly down for Harlem. Thank God, right? So Thank convenient. God. Yes, that yeah. is um, for New Yorkers. It's a a nice blustery winter day, snowing right before Christmas, and this one should be fun because there's a couple of things I want to do, Devika. Um, obviously, we want to talk a lot about you because that's what this podcast is about. But you have a fascinating role because if there's a topic that is as hot as it can get right now, it's it's AI. If there's a topic that's misunderstood, probably more than blockchain and cryptocurrency. <laughs> is it? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a quick race right now, thanks yeah. to that bubble that's going on. Um, it's close, yeah. okay? But but honestly, the the arguments, the debates, the, the, the fear that is wrapped around AI and what the impact it's going to have on, on society. So you, no pressure. That's where we're going to start. What's the biggest misconception? And I'm going to talk specifically about IBM here. When we talk about IBM Watson, what do you think is the biggest misconception the general public has? That's a hard question, I know. Mm. And I think it's a trajectory. It started off with people thinking that it's uh, this big brain behind a glass window and that can do all this magic. It's HAL, right? Yeah. The computer, supercomputer. Exactly. It's a switch when, when you switch on, like magic happens. And then gradually, I think uh, people are realizing that that's, you know, that's not the way the technology is kind of distributed or, or even consumed. But even now, I think there are still, you know, um, there, is that, there is that misconception that once you start using Watson, for whatever use case you're applying it to, you can get immediate, immediate results. And I, and I think that during, but growing, I mean, so I've, I've been focusing a lot on financial services, but I think gr there's been so much awareness in the past two years. It's amazing. When I, I think when I started out, it was in 
pretty in the start of 2015 and that was really at the beginning very beginning and a lot of education was kind of needed and awareness was needed but now i think everyone i mean a lot of folks who are interested in looking at ai or applying it within their business at least in the enterprise space are getting more and more savvy that it's a lot about data you know how much data do you have what's the quality of the data and then what use cases can be applied to yeah it's that gartner's hype scale right it's yeah. where you're at and we're, we're coming up at the end of 2017, so it's almost 2018, um, when everyone does their end-of-year predictions. You know, I, I think like last year it was like with blockchain, we're going to move from uh, theory to actual use cases. We're going to see stuff that works. And we've heard that over and over again with AI, right? Especially when it comes to a data-driven industry like financial services, right? Exactly. Um, you look at, I can't wait to see the lift when it comes to banking and especially insurance. Oh my God, especially insurance. Talk about an industry. Oh my God, healthcare. Um, oh, I can do this all day. Can you fix politics? <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah, wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, can we do something um, about that? But but there are there are these there are so many industries that There's so are much data unstructured driven. data and politics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh so. God. Yeah. Unstructured data. That's a great. That'd be a good podcast. Oh my God. There you go, Devika. I just gave you the idea for yeah. a podcast. Yeah. You need to have that. Um, so. That's a good little, a quick intro. We're going to talk more and more about what's happening at IBM with Watson and, and, and your role. Um, but but first, what's your job title here? So it's uh, it's chief of staff to, you know, to the head of Watson Financial Services. Um, we, we launched, so I guess our big kind of um, project for Watson when we launched was in healthcare. That was the first industry where we, we as an organization, felt we could have true impact uh, in the area of AI. And then the next industry, you know, partly because it can have big impact and partly because it's one of our biggest sectors was financial services. So we kind of formally launched this at the end of last year and with a big focus on rec tech, which I'm sure you're very well aware of, uh, to see, you know, how can we use AI to really solve some of the problems in and complexities in the regulatory landscape um, globally. And to help us do that, we also acquired Promontory uh, to give us the kind of necessary ammo and expertise to actually go credibly to designing the use cases and designing the products and actually taking it to taking it to market. Yes. If you're going to pick two industries to try to come in and and uh, make improvements on and, and do rapid development, the healthcare industry and regulatory and compliance. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, those are big, big, hairy uh, problems. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's like Napoleon going after Russia. Um, that is, they're tough, right? And in yeah, healthcare, tougher than a chatbot, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. oh my God. Um, yeah, for anybody, we're just going to move on, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's going to, that was all of last year, yeah. Um, yeah, God, a decision tree. Um, so, so healthcare was interesting, right? Because what we're talking about here, and healthcare really is huge for me. Um, and, and the reason for that is I, I lived through what a, a disease can do to a family, right? Uh, my mom had MS. So in the 70s, she was diagnosed with MS. We went half a million dollars in debt. Um, we were a lower middle class family and basically became poor because of that. And a lot of it was because they couldn't diagnose the disease, that the technology wasn't there, the, the research hadn't been done. And correct me if I'm wrong, some of the early stuff that was that you're trying to do with Watson is on the diagnostic side, right? Yeah. So it's it's that's consuming data. Lots of data, yeah. And that's that's part of the challenge, right? Is the data feed. You've got to feed in so much data for that that ability to do those diagnostics. Yeah. And that requires people. You're, you're nodding. The answer is yes, everybody. <laughs> the answer is you, it's answering it for me. It does. And I think it also requires, um, you know, the people who are actually sponsoring this and their vision and, and what capital. they want and it what they want to throw their investment. money at. Because yeah. there are a lot of problems within healthcare that could benefit from the use of um, big data, analytics, AI, you know, some of the rudimentary stuff before you even get to AI, such as the whole mental health space, but that just is not thrown as much capital as it, you know, as it could, could have. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, you talk about an area that has immediate impact on an individual's lives, right? The quicker you can diagnose um, a disease or condition, the faster you can work to, to rectify it. Yeah. So this is about, and it, this actually, this actually is a life or death um, type situation. Um, when it comes to the financial side, and, and especially, you know, you, you can talk about the regulatory side, 
there actually is a life or death component to that because now we are talking about trying to help prevent another 2008, you know, now that we're at almost at 2018, you know, and how many lessons have we actually learned coming out of that? So to have that level of analytics and to watch and to monitor and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of what you're doing isn't isn't a replacement. It's augmenting individuals, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, and I think the big one of the big cores of that is that we focus on, you know, applying AI technologies to unstructured data. And when you're mining unstructured data, you need to know what you're pointing it towards. So and for that, you re, you definitely need domain expertise to understand what's the needle in the haystack and what problem are you trying to solve? And I think that's where it becomes incredibly useful to have folks from the industry who are trying to, you know, solve the hairy problems of anti-money laundering or know your customer or just regulatory compliance. So for, for layman listeners, how would you define unstructured data? So that's anything that you can um, read, hear, um, watch. So pictures, images, text. Uh, videos, those are all on sources of unstructured data. And which is the most common too, right? The, the, I mean, exactly. thank you iPhones and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and other phones, because there are others, but the sheer volume of pictures that is being taken and, and loaded into, into the web is, is remarkable. And the ability for a machine or a computer to be actually be able to define what that is. You know, we, we talk about, I was just reading today, um, uh, a great, I read a lot. I love to read. That's one of my joys. And I was reading how kids, I think it's from the age of two to three is when you're at peak cognitive learning. The, 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 however they say it, the brain firing off. It's amazing what little kids and their ability and how we unlearn that, you know, but that natural curiosity to learn and play and experiment. Yeah. And you're literally trying to do that with a machine now. That's true. Which means there's so much more possibility, right? Yeah. Oh, education. That's like another like. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll go there too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's actually talk a little bit about education. We're going to circle back to Watson a little bit, but I want to kind of talk about you um, and how you got to where you're at today. So how did you get to, um, you know, Silicon Alley and working for IBM with that really cool red balloon statue in the lobby? <laughs> so where'd you grow up? So I grew up in India, in, in New Delhi, which is the capital. Um, and, and, Went to a great school, uh, fairly, I think a fairly average uh, student up until like uh, middle, end of middle school. And then I had a personal incident uh, in my life that kind of forced me to like either take the route of getting together and swimming or, or, or sinking. And, and I think I chose, I didn't really think about it at the time. God, you just do what you do at that age. Right. And I suddenly like just propelled myself into like complete like resilient mode and just like, you know, so driven to just achieve, like just do stuff, Are achieve Are you literally going to leave me hanging and not and tell me <laughs> anything? You're not going to give me a hint of what it was? It was a close family member being, you know, conditioned with a mental, with a mental illness yeah. uh, fairly early on and, and, you know, a single parent household. So, so I think at the time it, it just, it just came naturally to me to kind of like be there to support you know, my mother and, and, and family members to, to whatever extent that, that I could at that young age. You know, I was um, there too, when my mom was diagnosed with MS, I was eight and she went through massive depression. I mean, because it basically at that time it was the equivalent of a death sentence. Yeah. Um, you know, so the disease affects everyone differently. She went blind. She ended up in a wheelchair and, um, lost control of a lot of organs and everything else and massive depression, not get out of bed or anything to watch your parent go through that, it does, you, you learn how to become a provider really quick. Well, you choose, right? You either. And it wasn't my up. mother, uh, but it was, it was my, you know, it was my brother. So, uh, but either way, it's your family. So, you know, and, and, and my dad's also around, but, uh, but they split up when I was fairly young. And, uh, and at the time I remember I was studying psychology uh, in school and that was probably the best thing that happened serendipitously because I understood so much more about what was going on and that sense of awareness at like 14 or 15, I don't think I would have had, had I not, you know, had, had that from an academic standpoint, but also of course my, my friend, my support system for my friends was absolutely amazing. Um, and then I just kind of like, you know, that was it. Tunnel that vision. Was it. Yeah. Tunnel vision. And I was just like, 
change, you know, to, you know, need to like get the A grade, you know, be the school captain, like just, you know, extracurricular, get into dancing way more seriously than I was doing it at the time. And, and then I went on to do my undergrad in India as well. Uh, I did economics, uh, which was which is fabulous. But we have a very archaic system of teaching in India, which I only realized once I came to the U.S. and right. studied out here, uh, which put things into perspective. And and I worked for a couple of years in India first. Um, I went down the consulting route, so I did strategy consulting with Accenture. F- again, great experience for someone you know fresh out of undergrad. That's a pretty common path. And too, it's a pretty for common path. And I think I was. Uh, and I think I was on that kind of common trajectory of like, you know, doing the, you know, studying hard, doing the consulting, doing the MBAs. That's when I came to the U.S. to do my do my master's and stuff. At Yale, by the way, everybody, let's go ahead and give a shout out. Yeah. And you know, that average yeah, school down there. Super average. Yeah. Um, well, St. Stephen's College isn't, you know. That's nice, too. Yeah. By it's the way. great. Yeah. Have yeah. You, I don't know if you've been. I think we just talked about this the last yeah. time. Have you been to India? Uh, I've only once, and it was a long time ago. Okay. We need but, to get but you there. Do a, yeah. It, it, it's going to happen. I can feel it. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're in tech, you spend so much time around the culture. I mean, you just do, right? And I spent 20 years in the tech industry, so almost by default, you, you do. But I, I find that path coming out, and I, I love that it was like a, 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 a switch just went off. Were you, were you interested in to be math? Honest, I can only put it into perspective today. Like yeah, you don't know when you're living later. through it, right? I have no idea what happened then. I mean, it's, it's not like I was sitting and like reflecting and like staring out of the window. No, yeah. not at all. Did, so. did you, are, are you, are you, were you drawn to science, to, to math, to, to engineering? More so, I would say more to the to the liberal arts um, space, but I was... I love that. That makes me <laughs> so happy. You're like my past four podcast interview. <laughs> Definitely. You know, there's a, but then there's that strong underpinning of math and economics and science that, you know, that's just kind of inbred, maybe part culturally and, and, and part due to just understand, like understanding the logic behind some of these things. But I, I'm definitely into like, how can you merge the two, um, you know, merge the creative side and with the, with the more scientific and rational side of things. Have you seen that uh, video that's out right now, the ballerina who's dancing and they do the um, geometrical yes. lines? Yeah, fascinating. Sorry, listeners, this is just for me. Yeah. I love that. That is awesome. I agree. I'm going to put a link to that. Yeah. Just because. Cause, yeah, I, but, yeah. but there is a great example, right, of being able to measure those specific points. And you see the, the art of what that ballerina is doing, right, and the lines that she's actually exactly. holding. It's, it, yeah, that's... That's amazing. Steam, right? Yeah. That's what they, instead of STEM, you say STEAM. STEAM. Uh, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Um, so, so to, and, and yeah, we can talk more, Steam more about engine. that. That's the name of this episode. Congratulations, Erica. <laughs> yeah, I always have to come engine. up with a name. Steam engine. You're a steam engine because you're both. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get yeah. to that for everybody. And um, Oh, my God. There you go. That's the name of your book when you write the book. Steam. That's the best my thing. The steam engine. Yeah. And I think when I joined IBM, that's when like, and, and then Watson, which is very early on, that, that's I think when I stopped in my tracks and I was like, wow, this is completely different from, I mean, we're at a point in our, in our lives in the world that we're just like, I mean, just the, the range of like technologies that we're seeing and how that's evolving is, is, is really fascinating and mind blowing. So well, the pace of change, the time that we live in, Right. And it's only accelerating. That's what I find amazing. Yeah. Is is the acceleration of of technology that we're seeing right now is is literally mind blowing. The results of Moore's Law, the results of of every theory <laughs> under the sun. Um, I, I find that just your career that you have right now and what you're doing didn't exist twenty years ago. I know, I keep thinking about that. It's fascinating. I mean, I was looking at the LinkedIn like jobs report, you know, which they've just kind of launched for the top emerging jobs and stuff, um, which was interesting because it, it's more data driven, which is nice versus people just prophesizing on, on what's going to happen. And, and you know, amongst, of course, you have the AI jobs and machine learning jobs, which are hot. But then uh, the a bar instructor was like amongst the top jobs that's going to, you know, 
emerge more and more, which is great because now you're seeing the two extremes of like the area of wellness and then you have the area of like extreme like technology. I think I think what we're going to see, especially as my kids, my grandkids get older, is this return to artisans. You know what I mean? I mean, because we will. Yeah, very tactile. You know, the that I'm, I'm thrilled about that, by the way. Same. Agree. Which 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 emphasizes the importance of liberal arts. Right. I'm trying. To, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying Try. to back my degree, everybody. Um, but it what does. Did you, so what did you do? Um, well, so I went to. School, so this is hilarious, right? The way I grew up, I, uh, I immediately went into the military at age 17. Um, it was either that or going to a factory and work in Detroit. So I just wanted to escape, um, and then spent almost a decade in the military. Went to school at night, weekends. I got my degree over a eight year period from Southern Illinois, workforce education and development. I'm supposed to be an HR manager or a trainer. I was an HR manager for exactly 28 days. When I got out of the military, I went to work for this Japanese uh, firm. And after 28 days, they brought me in. And in very broken English, the president said, you have, you have no heart, which meant I had no empathy. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to say, you're not the most empathetic person, but you're very logical. We think you'd make a great QA guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At the time, I thought, oh, my God, I'm getting fired. <laughs> this is horrible. I, I was not a very uh, empathetic person when I was young, yeah. which is weird because yeah. that's kind of what I'm known for now, right, is, is that. But at the time, I just didn't care. So, uh, yeah, it's weird how you change so and grow up. Turns. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just that, that, and that's what I, I, that's why I like the story component of this, right? At the end of this, even with IBM Watson, with, with AI, with uh, cryptocurrency, take your pick. We keep talking about these hot topics. It all does circle back to people and individuals and, and the characters that make this up. And that's what I like are the characters. That's why we do this interview series. So for you move, coming from a massive city in India, ma- how, many, how many people live there? I mean, tens 20, of millions. Yeah, yeah large. 20 million, yeah. Yeah, it is funny when we do that because we talk about cities in the U.S. and being massive and then you go to China and India. Good luck, right? Um, I think India is going to be the most populous country in the world as of 2050, I believe. It's coming. Nothing to be proud of, but yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. coming. Right? Yeah. Um, so to come from a city of that size and 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 um, the culture and then and coming to the U.S., do you find it really that much different? I'm curious. No, you know, I think ever since, so I've, I've always traveled a lot. So I knew that I'm going to spend some part like yeah. of my life living living you know, in different parts uh, of the world. And then I think as soon as I left India and then I, you know, moved to New Haven, which was very different from <laughs> New Delhi. I remember staying a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> just a little, a little bit, bit different. Little bit. I had the most amazing roommates though. But we stayed kind of in the boonies in the first year of college. And then the next the next year, um, I was like, I need to move downtown New Haven because I need some... <laughs> More activity. I'm not used to New Haven. Yeah, that one block. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the one block. Um, and then, of course, then I moved to New York City, which is, you know, it's it's almost more intense than I, I, I think. There's a lot of resemblance to Delhi in a way because it's so chaotic, it's so energetic, it's not very clean, uh, and it's just full of energy. Which you know, in Delhi is in a, in a different way, but it's also like full of energy. Mm, Delhi and Bombay. And then I just got a bug. So I was, you know, a big part of joining IBM was because I was this on this program that would allow me to kind of travel and, and you know, get a view of different parts of the, the business. And so I was in New York and then I moved to London for two years. And, and then, oh, and before New York, I spent like, you know, more than a summer in Amsterdam working at a hotel. I love Amsterdam, by the way. Such a great city. Yeah. I think I, I might move there later on in life. It's so great. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah. I, such a great You don't city. seem like the type that's going to stay in one, no, just one keep place. Because now I'm just like caught by this bug of movement. My, uh, my favorite quote, and this is by somebody who never saw the ocean until they joined the military, by the way. So, and, 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 and just said, hey, I should go in the Navy. <laughs> Not a great decision, by the way, if you don't yeah. know if you get seasick. <laughs> Thank God for submarines. Um, but didn't, never traveled really internationally except for, you know, Canada right across the border. Once you start traveling, is something you fall in love with. But my favorite quote is by St. Augustine, which is, I believe it's, uh, the world is a book and those that haven't traveled have only read one page. And amen. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It, it, gives you a, it gives you an appreciation for culture, for other views, for, I think it, it rounds a person out. Absolutely. It really does. And then rounding back to your original point of like, how does it feel in terms of different settings? 
you know, it, do, it doesn't because we're all like, I mean, of course, people come from different backgrounds and things like that. But human beings are more similar than we think. Oh, yeah. You know, so and I, and I think being exposed to different different cultures and different cities and different parts of the world, I, it, it, it's the it is the best form of education. Yeah, it's easy to to um, to not appreciate a culture or, or a people group when you think of it as a people group. Once you meet an individual, I, I think a lot of your preconceived notions just get thrown out the window. And I've, I've said this on, a, on another interview um, with, with a friend of mine, uh, um, Javed, who is, is going to go up uh, pretty soon. He was born in Iran, raised in the U.S., one of the first employees of Homeland Security. I love that, by the way, um, like an eight-year tenure with him. Growing up in Detroit, we have a massive Muslim population in Dearborn, one of the largest outside of London um, and the largest in the U.S. And I grew up incredibly racist. I was the kid who would throw stuff at the mosques and everything else. And, uh, and then, you know, was in the first Gulf War and everything else experienced in the military. It's hilarious when I got out of the military because my very first friend, the guy that befriended me, his name was Baram Junagani, an engineer. I thought he was Indian. Came my best friend, took me under his wing. He's from Iran. Family got out right before the Shah. Every misconception I had about a culture just got kicked right in the teeth. And I'm I'm definitely not the same person I was <laughs> when I was young. Thank God. I'm I'm Indian, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I thought you were Iranian. <laughs> you don't speak Farsi. How many languages do you speak? I'm always curious about that. Um, so English and Hindi, com- yeah. you know, definitely. And uh, my Spanish is 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 broken. Poquito. That's a good language. Yeah. That's a good one. Any any um, desire to do South America? As much as you tr- have traveled? I have traveled. I've traveled a bunch around there. Want to do, definitely want to do more. I haven't done Brazil, which is Portuguese, but, um, and then, and then Italian is another language that I'm trying to see if I can pick up for, yeah, for 2018. For yeah. Yeah. For, tw- yeah, for 2018. Minor goals. Um, <laughs> uh, to my daughter, Alex, you heard that, right? <laughs> a, a year legal. I do that with my, with, um, I have three daughters and a son and, and my two youngest that are still in the house. Um, I have them write out six months goal on a, just five of them, put them on a three by five card and put it in the mirror in their bathroom. So they see it every day. I'm one of those guys. Very driven. And they always nail them too. By the way, I'm very proud of them. Very good. For that. Yeah, I know. How, well, how young are they? Uh, my, so my youngest uh, daughter is 15 and my son is 12. And then I have, uh, and my oldest are, are in their twenties, all completely unique. Right. That's, I love that. They're, they're characters of that. Were, were your parents uh, really driven around you, like I am? Or were they absolutely bonkers? <laughs> like posting, like yeah. post-its on my... No, they actually weren't. Um, Lucky you. Yeah, they weren't. Uh, but I think um, I, my mom's incredible. She's like my best friend and, and everything. Uh, where does she live? She lives in Delhi. Still lives in Delhi. Okay. She's spending a lot of time in Goa, which is where I'm going next week uh, to spend time with her, uh, which is by the... Which is by the ocean. Uh, it's like one of our kind of. I had beach a neighbor in Atlanta yeah. from Goa. Really, the world is very small. That is very small. Yeah, it is. But yeah, and uh, and I think she she spent a lot of time kind of dealing with stuff at home early on. So you know she was. But the good thing with that is that never once did she ask me to kind of step in and help her. She always was like, you do what you have to do. And, you know, and and I think that freedom is incredibly important because there's it's very easy for a parent if you're dealing with especially a single parent dealing with such a major problem within the same household to kind of, you know, latch on to anything and everything around you, close around you to to get by. And she always so used me as a pillar of support and strength versus depending on me to to help her through this or to help you know my brother through this and things like that and I, and I and I really value that and respect her for it do you ever reflect on that to think about how independent this made you as an individual absolutely if you haven't I'm telling you that oh right thank now. you there you thank are you. but yeah. yeah I mean the the impact parents have yeah really right? They really do. That's why if you're not ready for kids, don't do it. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Don't for the do love it. of God, until you're ready, don't oh my do God. it. Um, yeah. Because once you do it, the commitment that you have and the impact you have on that person's entire life, right? It really is. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. You can get your mom on this one of these times. Your mom's going to love this podcast. 
<laughs> What's your mom's name? What's her Ma- first name? Monica, actually. It's, Monica. Yeah. That is so Indian. It's, exactly. I think her parents were like, had these big dreams. Monica. They were like, we're just going to name her Monica. I love that. <laughs> and with a C, which is like, you know. Oh, that's his. Yeah, because she in India, you still have it with a K, but she's with a C. Yeah, she could be from like LA. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they, but they had, you know, they both mom and dad had impacts in their own way. Dad, and dad is a result why I've even traveled so much since I was a kid. You know, the first country I went internationally was uh, Kenya, which is oh, amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's you know, a... to all the national parks and and things like that. So it, you know, a lot of exposure thanks to that. Okay, and and so we're on this parent kick. I don't know why. It's yeah, not I don't like, know why. I'm sorry. I just, yeah, yeah. Send them a <laughs> um, yeah, the the that idea of and we talked a little bit about this, the different cultures, but but the travel component, right? I mean, you have the bug, obviously. It, that is another incredibly important part. Maybe because this podcast is very. Um, U.S. centric and U.S. focused, and we don't travel. And maybe that's why I'm trying to hammer this home, right? This idea, of get out beyond your borders. Oh yes, yeah. How old were you when you went to Kenya? I was uh, six, I think. Oh my yeah. gosh, that Very is fantastic. Young. Yeah, amazing. And then I went three times later, and then uh, last year, my friend and I organized a trip with a bunch of friends. We thought we were going to do this travel, you know, experience thing on the side, like a you know almost like a company of sorts, uh, where we get like, like-minded friends and, you know, travel to unknown and un- unexplored places. So we went to Namibia, like 10 of us. I don't even know where that is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Where's Namibia? At? Namibia is, uh, is right next bordering South of Af- South Africa. Okay. I know where that is. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, it was colonized by Germany for the longest time. So it's got a lot of German influences. Is it that little landlocked? Uh, it's, country? It's not landlocked, so it's by the it's by the ocean. In fact, the coast is called the Skeleton Coast because it has um, a lot of shipwrecks yeah. from ships that were going there to mine diamonds and things like that. Uh, it's very eerie, actually, because you know you can you take a flight and then you see all these shipwrecks on the on the coast, oh which God, have I been there for there like so hundreds of years. Now. Uh, and they're just stuck in the sand. So it's it's sand dunes and then the ocean. I'll show you photographs after. It's, Did you think this is what we're going to be talking about? No. Yeah, that's what makes it so much fun. <laughs> it's. I mean, I would. It's such a. It's like you're on. It's. A, it's probably. It feels like you're on Mars out there because it's very like it's a desert landscape and you're just driving for like, you know, these vast stretches for, you know, for hours on end with. Um, with tons of national parks where it's probably the easiest thing to spot animals because there's not much, you know, vegetation yeah, out in there. The way. Yeah. Nothing in the way. Um, and, and some beautiful animals, which you don't see otherwise, like the oryx. Um, anyway, I'm going on a Namibia spiel. But oryx. yes. I so, don't know what so an oryx is. Trip. What's an oryx? Uh, oryx. It's, uh, I wonder what, what family. And like, I think it would belong, it doesn't, but it probably would belong to the family of the antelope. You know, okay. so it has these big horns, and it's a it's a very beautiful creature. They eat them there too. It's very beautiful. <laughs> you were doing so well, and then you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I know. We look at them, then we kill them, and we eat them. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they do. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, you know, you, I, I get it. Yeah. All right, so uh, I want to circle back to growing up in India a little bit because a large part of your life is wrapped around dance. Mm-hmm. So, as a child, you were studying is it Bollywood dancing? Is that what it's called? Uh, no, actually. So, um, I was doing modern jazz. I, I started with classical jazz, uh, classical Indian dancing. So Bharat Natyam and what's it called? Bharat Natyam. Okay. And I did that for, a, for a bit. And then I moved into, into modern jazz. Cause I thought, um, interestingly, I thought Bharat Natyam was too rigid as a, as a dance form. And it was in the, and I'm like, listen, it's, it's, to me, it seemed just as what I'm learning at school is exactly what I'm being taught an art form. So like, not open to interpretation movement, as you mean by that? That's where or? I was learning, not open to interpretation. You know, the teacher is very strict, you know, so it wasn't fluid. Um, and so I heard about, you know, jazz, uh, modern jazz and Western classical dancing. So I started doing that um, when I was in eighth grade. And then I just, you know, joined one repertoire company and grew with them and started teaching with them towards the end of school. And uh, and then in college, continued to teach with them as well, uh, which was absolutely, you know, the best experience ever. As a, I think I didn't end up doing it full time because a big way in which you actually promote your dance career in India is by doing Bollywood 
you know, dancing. That's a big route. You, know, you don't have the musicals out here and the theater scene is not as big. It's a massive industry. And it's a in massive India. industry. Yeah. So I did dance in one movie, which is hilarious. What movie? Uh, I'm, 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 oh that, my God. I, I never, yes. ever disclose that. I'm so. going to Google. I can Google really, really well. IBM Watson, what movie? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you like, need to walk me under the floor where I can ask that Watson big machine and yeah. it's going to tell me. It was, uh, and we were like... Listeners, group. I will give you an Amazon gift certificate if you will tell me. I'm calling Monica. And this Monica was will tell me. This was before YouTube. So, you know, I don't oh, even know I'm if so it's depressed. on. <laughs> How sad I'm dating myself, even though I'm kind of still a millennial. But um, it's, uh, yeah, this was before YouTube. So I don't even know if it'll if it'll be there. So our company was a repertoire company doing the background dancing and choreography for it, which is hilarious. How old were you you at can the spot time? me because of my hair. How old were you? I was uh, 17. I bet you were over the moon. I bet you could not yeah, believe. It was, but that's what made me realize I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the set dancing for a career. Um, I love kind of the the act of like teaching dance and learning dance, but I didn't want to do it um, professionally in India in the way of doing Bollywood dancing. You know, that's really interesting. So you think about it, you hit, you, you kind of hit the goal, right? With that, so you you focused, you know, so much work in learning the dance. And then you're in a film doing that as part of the company. And that would seem like you nailed the holy grail. And yet you look at that event and go, eh, no, this yeah. isn't for me. Yeah, early on. That's really good because last night we were talking about this. I was interviewing my, my niece and her boyfriend who are professional dancers here in New York. And her entire life, my niece, she knew she wanted to be in theater and dancing and everything else. He didn't learn until he was 22 years old. And he was in a play. And they had him do an, an interpretive dance. And he said he got slapped in the face with it and knew this is it for the rest of my life. That's amazing. Yeah, I find that really interesting. I can't dance. But let me just get this out. My wife's like, you, boy, Everyone God, you can't can dance. dance. No, Mindy bit. will tell yeah. you I can't. Uh, my wife studied dance like 15, 16 years, right? Oh, she can, She can jam. Yeah. Um, I can't. I love her. Um, thank God she can. Uh, Mindy, you have skill. I don't. But I, I find that that decision point that you came to very interesting that you looked at it and said, no, I'm good. Was it really that easy of a decision? So then what do you want to do? You want to study in, jazz? At least uh, at that point I was in India and I was like, you know, I, I can work or I can, I did continue to teach dance, but I did it more informally on my own in my neighborhood at, the, at our community center and things like that, because I still want to be acquainted with it. Even to date, I want to be, I want it in my life somehow. Um, but I didn't want to, pursue it as a as a career i think i think it was it was the the world of tech and business that you know <laughs> drew me in drew me in more yeah yeah that consulting life gives you so much time <laughs> for know, dancing you have I all know. those you know you know half hour free time <laughs> when you're a consultant but you have carried your love of dance over because here in new york you do some stuff with dance right with, with STEM. yeah yeah so so I've, I found, I discovered this, um, we discovered each other, uh, this incredible organization that's teaching, you know, young minority girls um, to to learn how to code and to enter into, you know, STEM careers through through dancing, which I thought is, it's called, yeah, it is a weird connection. But I think having having dance as such a critical part of my life and the the kind of confidence it gave me to, you know, in other parts of my life and the way it prepared me to deal with other parts of my life that were non-dance related was such a is such a strong connection that I can totally see how um, how it can prepare young, you know, young kids and students who may not ever think that they have a shot at, at doing coding or doing a science-related career, but think that they can nail doing choreography on a Beyonce song. And and the, the confidence that they have with dance, if we can translate it in any way to to coding, I mean, I think it can have a huge impact. What are some of the applications? Is it um, learning to to fail and fix? I mean, that was me encoding. When I was a coder, I messed everything up. So some of it, yeah, through... Yeah, you debugging know, constantly. Exactly, so through, and through dance-related, like, exercises. So, the you know, at one way could be the girl, you know, the girls are basically learning to code and, you know, set up circuits, which they're then going to put onto their outfits 
and then do a choreography. That's pretty cool. Okay. At the end of it. That is pretty neat. So they've gone through the act. You know, so it's like, you're not going to get your choreography until you actually code this thing. And it works well because these girls are such amazing dancers. Uh, that's why they probably joined the program. But then they come out of it saying, whoa, I didn't know I could code. What's the name of the program? It's called Stem from Dance. Stem from Dance. I, I love that. And it's founded by Yamali, who is uh, incredible. She's a former dancer. Wait a minute, what's her name? Yamali. I believe she is one of the mentors of my nephew and, or of my niece and yeah. that guy. This might be the exact same yeah. person he mentioned. So she was an MIT grad and then she's like, she was teaching math and she found the oh, disconnect okay. in students. Oh yeah, we're, we're interviewing her. She went to MIT? Yeah. Oh, you went to Yale. You, you, good for you, you know? <laughs> I went to Southern Illinois. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. You know, my, my favorite part about code, my, actually one of my favorite phrases, because it applied to me, was it's not, I found the bug, it's I found a bug, which means there's errors everywhere, right? It's well, We talked about that with unstructured data and everything else. And in dance, from from watching it, it is a, it is try a move, fail, tweak, pivot, a startup life, <laughs> actually, when you think of it. It is. That's true. And you keep performing. But you don't stop. You don't give up, right? Just because the, the first example of that didn't didn't work. And is that the hardest part in working with the kids is getting them to overcome that? Or are they open to failing when it comes to dance? I think failing is a bad choice of words. It's yeah. tripping or whatever. Yeah. But I think because you keep performing, you learn a bit, you perform. You learn a bit, you perform. It's actually quite amazing. I think you're opening my eyes to it more in terms of how agile it is as a as a form of um, as a form of delivering an end product. Sounds like a sprint, right? Yeah, it is. And every day, so if you do a week long sprint, every day you're learning a bit, and then you perform it, and then you might tweak things. So, and ultimately, till at the end of the sprint, you've got, you've got the whole performance ready. And you've delivered something. Maybe I could dance because I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> nah. But it, it comes down to, tact, to tactile things as well. Yeah. You know, so how can we like, you know, change the way we're teaching and doing education, but using more tactile uh, things like dancing, art. How old are these kids? They are anywhere. So most of them would be like, you know, in middle school and some high school. We taught some high school uh, programs as well. How do you find time for that? I'm sure your hours at IBM are, are so minimal. So I'm involved more from a board member capacity. So that's, you know, so I've been and seen their programs and stuff. But I think raising awareness, for example, talking about it yeah. here is, you know, is a key part. And then, and then uh, figuring out how they can scale this program. So more or less, you just described two of the key components a board member does for a startup. <laughs> you realize that, right? Uh, consumer awareness is a massive part and how do you scale absolutely that's that's startup life and that exactly so which which i definitely do enjoy to whatever limit i mean you know advisors they've got lots of experience to whatever limited extent i could even like help a startup in terms of getting them you know connected with the right folks who can vet their technology or you know advise them on how they could you know scale in whatever limited capacity if they're using for example unstructured data and ai applications for that is a lot of fun yeah, so let's circle that back. Let's take the dance and the and the travel and everything else, because your experience molds you as a person and impacts the choices and the work and 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 the art that you do when it comes to. Let's talk about Watson and the work you do here. So I'm gonna make you think about this, and I apologize because, like I said, you never get the questions ahead of time. When you think about your experience in in dance and your experience growing up, how does that impact how you are a leader at IBM? Oh, I just got a, a look like, oh my god. <laughs> but but how does it? How, do you think about that? Because I do. I, I'll give you an example. So, you know, I was in the military. So you're, you are very used to military where you give an order and you just expect it to be done. And I've had to unlearn that, right, to where I give precise instructions and you just repeat them without thinking. And in civilian life and in the real world, I've learned to point in a direction and then get the hell out of the way. That was very hard for me to give that control of. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it comes down to like the basics. Um, the basics are the most important. It, it yeah. really is. And I think this year spending time kind of being, you know, the operational and strategic, uh, you know, help to my, to my boss, who is incredible, um, has been, has been a real eye opener because he leads a massive organization and I've gotten a bird's eye view of what that 
what that looks like within an IBM, you know, scale. Uh, and before I've only led, you know, much smaller teams. Um, but it really comes down to the basics. And I'm excited to apply those, you know, as, as, as we, as time goes on, which is, you know, and this matters a lot to me, clarity in like what everyone's like, everyone should know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think the bigger the organization, the more messy it gets, you know, everyone on the team, no matter how big that team is, thousand or a five should know what they're here to do and what their role and responsibility is. And then communication. You know, if you have clarity and then you have to consistently communicate like what we're doing, how we're doing, what we're achieving, what we're not achieving, and almost like doing retrospectives like continuously. I think that's something that I'm learning like a lot more, a lot more about by it, you being exposed to some of the successes, but also being exposed to some of the inefficiencies and in how we how we do things in, in big companies. Um, so I think if we nail those two, like clarity, everyone has clarity on what, why they're here and what they're here to do. And, you know, and then the, as a leader, you're continuously kind of communicating that mission and, you know, communicating how we're making progress. That's, uh, that's what you do as a dance instructor. That's what I've, you know, did, you know, in school. That's what I've, I think I'm, you know, that's what I'm doing at work or trying to do more and more on at work. I heard another one, which, which I'm sure you do this It intertwines with what you just said. So around, you know, clarity, you know, where, where is it we're trying to get to? What is it we're trying to do and communication around that. And I guarantee if I asked um, your friends and your coworkers and everything else, the third one would be is honesty. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean by this honest feedback, right? Um, I was talking to Scott Monte. So he's a former head of social media for Ford globally. And he talked about the, the new CEO from Boeing when he came in and the first staff meeting he had, it was one of those rag meetings, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a status meeting for everybody, red, amber, green. And it was all their projects for Ford Motor Company. As his first meeting, everybody's going through their project status and everything's green. Literally every project is outstanding. Yeah. And he's just sitting there. That's and then finally, <laughs> exactly. And finally, one product lead stood up and his was red. And the entire organization looked at him and then turned and looked at this new CEO. And the CEO stood up and started clapping. And he said, thank God, somebody was honest. Next status meeting, like half of the projects are red. And then the third status meeting, three quarters <laughs> were red. But that's that's truth, right? Yeah. Truth and where you stand. And as, Absolutely. A, as a leader of an organization um, or, or in a product that's as important as what Watson is, that, that honest feedback is an imperative. You can be honest without being a jerk, right? Yeah. But, I mean, anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Honesty and empathy. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. So both. there's four. Yeah. Both. Checking in. Um, checking in with, you know... Being definitely, you know, bringing up roadblocks before they're, you know, <laughs> before they become roadblocks. Before they tank something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, because IBM has staked a lot of reputation on Watson, right? I mean, they have. We have, yeah. And, and I think rightfully so. You know, um, when you when you look at where the industry is going and, and, um, and how, I don't even, how old is IBM? I know they're old. I mean, it's big blue. They've been around. Over a hundred years old. Yeah. Yeah. To have that continued success means you're constantly reinventing yourself. So, so I would say personally, I mean, I've worked in two big companies, um, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll edit out that sigh or maybe not. <laughs> it's my favorite part of this interview. <laughs> the one thing I admire about working in this company is, is their integrity and honesty yeah. really such like everyone is just so stand up in terms of their values. It's saying a lot. It's incredible. If you can, That's be, good. it's like a, you know, this is a city or a government in here and everyone is, you know, it doesn't operate that, you know, it might, we might be slower, but you gotta be, if you've got so many people, yeah. uh, but everyone's every, values, you know, means a lot out here. Values matter yeah. in every part of life, especially in every where part you're of life. Absolutely. So you're not going to get that douchebag culture. <laughs> So to, so to speak, which is, I work in banking and, uh, <laughs> and I used to be a consultant. Yeah. Sorry. You can, ed- you can edit that culture. out too. No. Oh my God. Uh, there's a reason I work at 11 FS now. Ex- yeah, right? that's true. Um, small lean and clarity and honesty. And, and I like that. And I like being surrounded by brilliant people. And I'm guessing yeah, you guys are a great team. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's gotta be the same with you, right? Are, are you one that holds people to a high standard? Do you think? 
Oh, there was the fake. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> because sometimes then, yeah, there's nothing wrong. But I think you need to be open to like learning and, you know. So if I talked to your partner and said you hold people to a high standard. <laughs> yes, he'll agree. Yeah. Yes, he would agree. That's <laughs> pretty agree. funny. Yeah. So would my wife. My <laughs> wife constantly tells me that. She's a good check valve for me, yeah. by the way. I, I mean that um, wholeheartedly because I do hold people to an incredibly high standard. And she reminds me not everyone is me. Um, <laughs> and a few times we have danced, she's reminded me that I'm not great at everything. And so that is a nice, uh, yeah, yeah that's honest. <laughs> that's very honest feedback. That is very so, honest feedback. Yeah. If she didn't, all four kids would. Don't worry. They'll, that's another reason okay, I like you've kids. You've got like these mirrors all around you. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need a mirror around me, but they're everywhere. And I think that's a good thing. So here's, here's a, probably the, the hardest question that I'll ask. I'm not going to say where you see yourself in five years, but from, from, a, from, um, are you one of those people that plan out? No, I love good for you. Yeah. Thank God. You know, I tried, I but I, that's I was so just happy not me. I think a lot of it is, well, I do plan my, you know, Yeah, but you don't term. have like a five year, 10 no, year, this is where I'm going to be. It doesn't exist. Good. Yeah. I tried like, you know, early on. I'm not stuff, a fan of those. No. I'm really not. Serendipitous is more fun. This show is crafted for you by the folks at 11FS. We're building banks for the future. Find out more at 11FS.com. If we hooked you with this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Every star helps. Today's episode was edited by Michael Bailey and produced by Laura Watkins, Ollie Judge, and myself. I'm Sam Mall, and this has been Connection Interrupted. Thanks for listening. with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.